is the maiden voyage of Security Super Friends, and I am super duper excited to have one of my extra special super friends here, Garrett Held. Garrett, really great to see you. It's great to see you too, Rich. I'm glad to be talking to you again. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it's exciting times, a lot of change going on uh, in the world at large, um, particularly with coronavirus, and even in the world of security, we just had the, the Twitter hack and all that. But how are things for you? How, how has the change impacted you and, and what you're doing? Um, it, was, it was pretty interesting. This change happened right as I joined uh, Carta. And, uh, you know, I've been exercising a lot more, uh, eating better, though. Um, but we've been trying to be flexible with teams um, because, you know, mixing uh, work from home under these conditions is pretty difficult with uh, normal work priorities. Right, right. Yeah, I found, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad for people who are workaholics. I've been finding the, uh, a, lot, a lot of time spent uh, working less time commuting. It's been, it's been good for me. So, so yeah, it's important to me to, the ability to do things like this that maybe not, maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise. So, so yeah, so, um, well, the reason I wanted to, of course, talk to you is because you were a, a, you know, a friend, but a longtime security practitioner. And particularly, uh, you know, you're one of those people, I suppose, like myself, you've got a pretty strong, you know, got the software background, obviously, obviously the security background, um, a long cloud background, having been, you know, Salesforce and whatnot. But I thought maybe you could tell the people who will listen and watch a little bit about your background. I'd say, please feel free to go into detail because I'm sure there are a lot of folks who are interested. How how do they get to where where you are? So please. Yeah, I had um, a very unusual path, and I started as um, a developer, well, a rather bad developer, um, back when I, when I was much younger. And from that, I always had an interest in security and was able to to use that to find problems in other people's code and uh, find problems in other people's websites. And so I, I spent a lot of time in consulting, doing red teaming work, penetration testing, and code reviews. Um, after a while of that, I got tired of writing up you know, a lot of the same vulnerabilities over and over again and moved to the defensive side. I joined a, a team at Salesforce. And there I was joined the product security team where we did a lot of defensive stuff, which was a lot more uh, challenging, I have to say. Um, Using my startup experience, I was also able to build a team out there that focused on mergers and acquisitions and the diligence process. Uh, that gave me exposure to a lot of different uh, setups, build pipelines, and security requirements of different companies. Um, I also went back to a startup after that, did a little bit more technical work around in the RAST space, the runtime application security protections. Um, there, I built different agents, built different code, got a little bit more, was a little bit more product, but was the security person for a security startup, which was uh, very stressful in itself. Um, but I eventually wanted to build teams again and uh, wanted to work with you, Rich, and join Twilio. Uh, and there I was able to build up the application security team, the cloud security team, and uh, the automation function as well. And just recently I made the move to Carta, where I'm taking some of you know those lessons learned from Salesforce, from uh, Carta, from or sorry, from Twilio, from uh, and putting them to use at Carta. Great, that's an that's an awesome story. Great, uh, 
great companies, um, and you know, you're definitely on the leading edge of what I what we're calling, for lack of better, cloud native. And you know, maybe you can tell uh, tell us a little bit about the change that you've seen, particularly in security skill sets, um, the ecosystem. What has the change meant? You know, particularly if you think about kind of early cloud. You know, let's say from Salesforce early days through Twilio was perhaps one of the first cloud native companies. Now. Jakarta, where you know maybe even a different ecosystem. Maybe you can talk about that progression and what what it's meant for security and what it's meant for you, perhaps in different different skills, different approaches, and, and what have you. Yeah, as I said, Salesforce was uh, quite the, the gambit of situations from um, you know four month release cycles on the main product to uh, continuous releases and the cloud products. So really learning how to make our tools run inside the pipeline instead of having a review time, uh, locking down, you know, uh, hardening the environments, and then uh, working with the teams. Instead, we had to work on the fly and use tools that would keep up with development teams as they created things. Right. Um, that became even more important at a company like Twilio, where not only do we have the normal web and API security uh, concerns, we also are dealing with really old communications and really new communications from, you know, SIP to 5G. Uh, security that we have to worry about. Right. Would you consider where you are now? I mean, like at the time, we considered Twilio to be 100% cloud native, right? And I, as I reflect back on Twilio, great, fantastic company, at least, you know, uh, while I was there, you know, it wasn't, Kubernetes wasn't even a thing really, right? So no shame not being on it, just was not a thing. Um, as we look at the world, we look at what it means to do distributed compute. Um, you know, we think of ephemeral workloads and things like that. Um, really think of Kubernetes and you know that that sort of control plane. We would say that the new that kind of defines a new modern cloud native company, right? Would you say that's where you are um, now as opposed to then? Yeah, Carta is a, a little bit younger and has had the chance to take advantage of a lot of those technologies, um, and I think they're able to move a little bit quicker because of that. Uh, and that has also opened up a lot of security advantages and that we can take advantage of some of the, the new techniques uh, to secure that ecosystem. Great. Um, so, and I was gonna kind of drill into that a little bit, um, you know, as a, as a CISO working in what's largely 100% uh, cloud native org, what are some of those things, those changes that you can take advantage of the good, the evil, what have you, what, what do you see as an opportunity for security? Really, it's that uh, ability to have uh, insight into what they're doing and be able to react quickly to it. Um, because things uh, don't aren't long-lasting, um, patching is much easier because it goes out with new deployments. Um, we also have APIs for almost everything. So if we need to, you know, one of the first things that you think about is inventory, both of data and of the systems themselves. And so now that's all available uh, automatically. Um, and then once you do like foundational stuff like patching, making sure that the correct settings are in place, making sure that you have that inventory, uh, you want to automate it. And so you can also use those same, same techniques that they're using to deploy software to deploy your automation uh, to help maintain their software. Right, okay, great. So I'm gonna switch gears um, a little bit. So we've talked about kind of the ecosystem, what's you know, about you and what's changed in the ecosystem. I wanna talk a little bit more about as a leader, in a cloud native environment, what are some of the skill sets you're looking for? What's top of mind for you as you look to build out your org and you think about the things that you need to be able to work with a, a young, fast moving cloud native company? 
really we're looking for that person that bridges the old school security of consulting and only doing um, the theoretical work on security, uh, instructing people on what they should be looking for, and the DevSec, DevOps engineers who are going to build things into the pipeline, going to build platforms um, that other teams can use. We want to take the security um, from the tools and give it to the developers where they're working, whether that's in editors, whether that's in uh, the CICD pipeline, um, and make sure it's available and they know exactly how secure they are and what they should be doing differently. Right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So in light of that, in terms of giving developers the tools and the things that they need, kind of, we call that, you know, meeting people where they are, right? Uh, it's kind of a, I guess, a DevOps uh, sort of meme there. Um, you know, in terms of culture, would you say that you guys are more build, there's a build versus buy spectrum, there's a little bit of both, but in light of it being a software defined environment, very kind of developer-y, you're trying to integrate with their, their workflows, where are where would you say you you are and where and I'd say even broader where do you see things going on that kind of spectrum? We make um, a lot of use of the term leverage, which is maximizing what we can do with the resources we have. Um, so we're going to buy when our time could be better spent doing something else. If there's something common that a lot of companies face, there's usually a product out there for it, and there's no sense in us building the same thing over and over again. However, if there's something custom to the way our application works, or there's uh, some new method that may be a research project as well, uh, we're going to look at building that. And then, of course, we're always building the glue that holds a lot of these things together. That seems like a very mature perspective. And for those of you who are listening, that's not always the case, particularly in Silicon Valley, particularly where some of the places that you and I have worked in the past. And not that it's wrong, but there's some groups where, you know, if it's not invented here, it's not in Ethan. Um, and then there's, I've seen companies all the other way where if you're expected to know how to develop or build anything, it's not going to fly, right? And I think um, I think this kind of optimized mindset is, uh, I think it's appealing. It's good. It's good to hear. Um, so, so how do you approach? Let's and we're going to switch gears a little bit more now. You're a CISO. You are someone who has to probably report to the board on a quarterly basis or audit committee. Obviously, an executive right in the center there. Let's just bring it up a little bit and talk about risk management and your thoughts on risk management, again, in a cloud native, in a very successful cloud native company. How are you thinking about that? And perhaps how is it different than how you may have seen or approached these things in the past? Yeah, I approach risk management from the, the economist side is I want to build in the incentives and rewards for doing risk management correctly for the organization. Uh, I'm hoping to publish more about this later this year, but it's really a matter of creating security ownership within your organization. We're doing that through by using uh, quantification and gamification, not necessarily as a strict dollar amount, but more sort of as a relative risk to other scores um, and bringing those risks into the, the teams themselves so that they can own it and they can decide which risk they want to go after because then they'll know exactly which ones are more important to the organization. I like that. Um, sounds there's this freedom and responsibility, and, and historically, risk management has been, I don't know, call it high-level shaming. But in this case, what you're, you're you're trying to do is allow those people who may be risk owners to be able to make decisions themselves to take actions. Which, if, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, um, that seems to make a lot of sense in the more modern, development-oriented sorts of organizations where you have small teams. They're typically accountable to the services they're they're building. Um, they're desirous to do the right things from an engineering perspective. And instead of security saying, hey, look, you know, shame on you, you you've been bad. 
here is a way to start understanding risk and and own it and make make the decisions. Is that did I kind of get that right, at least in terms of the point of view? That's exactly it. Risk is a, a fact of life, and uh, it's really about being honest with ourselves about what we're taking on and how how important that is for the company. Okay. Um, and that allows them to hold themselves accountable for that. Perfect. Now I have one of those silly questions that I get asked a lot, and, and therefore I'm going to thwart you with this silly question as well. Let's assume that you have these uh, things that we will act like they're mutually exclusive, but we know they're not. Um, but if you had to rank order these security things, and by the way, you can come back with your own list of top three or top five things, but if you had to rank order these things, data security, SDLC, identity management, privacy, insider threat, how much you rank order those things? It doesn't have to be those things. And again, those are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but when you think of how you are thinking about things in, in a cloud native, in a, obviously in a company that's involved with you know, finance and regulations and whatnot, how are you thinking about these things? I, that, that's a tough one. That's a tricky one. You always get is like, what's your most important priority? So, well, they're they're all pretty important. So um, you can't always ignore them. But um, if, if I had to choose, uh, data security would probably be number one. I mean, keeping data secure is is the top priority. If, if you're not going to do that, the other stuff really doesn't matter that much. Um, and then identity management. So having strong role-based access to that data. Um, and being able to track who accessed what uh, would be next. After that, I'd say SDLC because, like, uh, I, it's extremely important. I built, you know, had many jobs where I focused only on that. Uh, I, I love it, but um, yeah, it, if uh, data security would definitely come above above that. And then I'd say insider threat, which after uh, the Twitter attack, obviously uh, everyone's concerned about, but. Um, has been on the mind of people for a long time too. Right, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think about this, I think about the shared responsibility model, right? Um, I'm assuming you guys, like everyone else, you're using a lot of SaaS, you obviously have, you know, cloud providers you're using. Um, and, you know, as more and more gets abstracted away, the more of the shared responsibility in theory is going over to those third party providers. But there are certain things for us as a business, what, which we'll always own. I think you kind of articulated that, right? The reality is, is that we're collecting data from our customers and we're then shoveling it in somewhere where it's either getting persisted, processed or all of the above. And we're gonna be held accountable, at least in some part or, or whole for what might happen to that data in, from a nefarious perspective, particularly it's at the layer that we own. Um, I, I'm wondering, as you think about cloud native and you think about serverless, right? As we think about even more abstract, right? We've been, we're extracting more and more and more. We're going into more serverless stuff. What, what do you think in terms of shared responsibility? Will that change your rank ordering of things? Will that make a change in terms of what's in, important there? Will it make a change in terms of SDLT or, or no, it's, it's all, the more, all the same or even more so? It changes a little bit about uh, how we think about it, but the fundamentals won't change. So we're going to want to know, um, you know, keeping things up to date, whether, you know, some of that may be taken care of with, serverless, but other things like libraries, third-party libraries still exist in serverless. Um, making sure that we have the correct settings on all these things. So that's additional layer of settings um, and best practices that we have to worry about. So Kubernetes adds another layer, but there are all sorts of uh, you know, configuration things that you have to worry about in Kubernetes now, uh, in addition to what you had before. You can add on AWS Lambdas, but you have to worry about permissions, roles, and you know, what they can do inside the account. Um, so it, the, the fundamentals stay the same, but it just adds another layer of what you're going to be checking for in the people. 
Right. So I have two more questions for you. Um, and these kind of go into the leadership area. So you're in the security group. There's, you know, you know, people, there are some people who say DevOps is a practice. There are teams that are called DevOps as well. We have site reliability engineering. We have the mythical DevSecOps, et cetera. Um, what is, how, how is the relationship or role, how critical is that between you, where you sit in security, and those people who have their, you know, their roles and responsibility to the platform and what have you? How does that work with you? Are you, are you closely intertwined? Are they separate groups? How, how are you seeing that? And how does that need to change potentially? We're actually uh, incredibly closely intertwined. And in fact, a couple of the people on our team are former members, members of that team as well. Um, and that helps us uh, make sure that we, you know, their, their point of view is represented and ours is represented when they do things. We have a, a pretty strict change management policy to make sure nobody's surprised by anything. Um, and we're all, all on the same page because reliability, uh, keeping the systems up and security usually go hand in hand. And if you frame it like that, they're very receptive to, uh, you know, the, the controls you want to put in place or the projects you want to take on. That's fantastic. Um, and Garrett and I can both to attest to the fact that it's not always the case. That's not, that, that things don't always necessarily work that way. And so that's fantastic to hear. So last question for you is, you know, as a person who's recently transitioned into a CISO role, you know, working in, in something that's related to critical infrastructure from a finance perspective, what advice would you give other security leaders? Any lessons that you've learned over your, you know, couple decades at doing this? Um, what might you say to someone who's aspiring to be a CISO or someone who's all of a sudden found themselves confronted with cloud native realities? What, what might you say? Yeah, when confronted with all these problems, you have to make sure you're not just fighting fires the entire time. So you have to make sure you have goals, usually around a two-year uh, timeline is what I like to pick. That's, uh, you know, five years is way too much. One year, you're going to overestimate what you can do. Um, two years, uh, it's generally a, a good timeline of picking things that you want to take on and achieve, and that would be bullet points on your resume. Um, you also want to make time for research. So take some time out and make sure you're actually thinking about um, what's going on, both for yourself and your team in the security industry, and uh, helping other teams advance as well, learning lessons that you're going to make. Um, security is not done. Uh, there's no you know, perfect playbook of starting uh, security at a company if you are a CISO. Um, you're just going to be looking to wait, make the practice better so awesome so i have a i have a final request uh for you when you are ready when your uh risk menagerie whatever it is that you're putting together your whole system when you're ready to you know expose that and talk about that to the world would love to have you come back and um share some of that with the uh the audience here obviously you know i'm, I'm i love the risks topic and quantification and gamification and i think it would just be super super great to be able to um have that conversation with you That'd be great. Yeah, it's it's definitely standing on the shoulders of other geniuses uh, from leaderboards and quantification um, and just putting some pieces together. So uh, hopefully it worked out well. Awesome. Well, Garrett, I really appreciate you uh, taking time and being the first one up to bat. You're quite a brave soul. So, so thank you so much. And we'll look forward to hopefully talking to you in the not too distant future when you're ready to publish more about your particular risk management approach. Thanks, Rich. It was great to talk. Appreciate it. Thank you.